Hey everyone, I'm Andy Kraft. And I'm Aaron Kraft. Welcome to the Health Hacked Podcast. What's your sleep looking like these days? <sighs> Dude, not good. Not the move, good. the baby, the job, the side hustle. It's got to be killer. I know. Grinding. How many hours? I, uh, according to my aura, I'm only getting like five and a half. Oof. And that, that's an actual sleep. How, what's your percentage of, yeah. uh, your sleep ratio? Like how much, how much in bed time are you getting? Uh, my efficiency is probably like 88%. So actually decent efficiency. 88. Okay. You gotta get the hours up. What's your, your average before that was like close to seven. Yeah, and then okay. just like with the move, the house stuff, traveling, getting ready for the baby. But I guess I got to get ready for that. Everyone's telling me I'm not going to sleep when the baby comes. Apparently, babies don't sleep straight through the night like a yeah. like a, an adult. So, like what idiot? Good practice, I guess. I don't know. But, yeah. It's hit or miss. I Some am. people are you know have the easiest upbringing, and it's like no problem at all. And then other people have just like yeah, a little hellion that you know doesn't let them sleep. I think it just depends. Luck of the draw. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, um, being a hypocrite here or saying you just got to make time <laughs> for sleep. And I, uh, I am definitely making this sleep the plug to life right now. But yeah, hopefully that'll change after that we get up. moved in. Yeah. yeah. I think, once, yeah, the move's got to be a, a big time sucker. So once you get moved in, hopefully you can pick up a couple couple minutes, couple hours every night after that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's let's get into it. Let's kick off the episode. Uh, today we are looking at, uh, I guess, philosophies on on weight loss, um, kind of different beliefs around weight loss and, and what causes weight gain and weight loss. There's kind of two different camps here, so we're going to take a look at both. Um, it's been researched a lot more lately because there's clearly a problem with weight in the world and specifically in our country. Um, two in three adults in America are overweight. And one in three adults are obese. So there, there's an undeniable, undeniable problem here. And part of that is just the instant access we have to highly palatable foods. Like we can just go down the road and buy cheap food that tastes incredible. Um, and it's typically very high calorie and very high in sugar. So that, that's one of the main reasons because we, we have instant access to everything. And a lot of us can't say no to that. We we are used to it and we want that instant satisfaction, satisfaction, satisfaction. Um, and we don't say no, we, we just, you know, keep eating and keep indulging. But I think another problem is the lack of, of knowledge around food consumption and what that actually does to our body. Not everybody knows how detrimental it is to us. So we want to take a little bit deeper of a look here, um, about around weight loss and, and why weight is gained. So there's kind of two camps here. Um, it, the, the question is, you know, how has the amount of food intake increased and do we simply need to reduce the number of calories consumed or is it the type of food that we're eating that is driving this, you know, massive increase in overweight and obesity? And there's been, um, it's been up to up for debate in the nutrition community for some time. Some say the focus should be on qu- quantity of food where others kind of focus on the the quality of food. And these ideas are characterized by two models. Um, One is called the energy balance model, where the focus is quantity, and the other is the carbohydrate insulin model, where where more of the focus is on quality. 
And I'll explain explain each of these here very quickly. And Andy's going to walk through kind of the potential problems with each of these and whether one model is more effective at managing weight or is a healthier um, model to follow than the other. So let's just take a look at the the energy balance model first. This is one you're probably familiar with, even though you may, may not recognize the name off the bat. This is one that is also called basically calories in, calories out. Um, everybody has heard that phrase before, um, meaning if you burn more calories than you eat, you'll end up losing weight. So if you burned, you know, 2000 calories a day, but ate 21,000 or 2100 calories, you would gain weight. And conversely, if you burned 200, sorry, 2000 calories, but ate 1900, then you would lose weight. Um, and in this case, in, in cat, the word calorie means energy. So I'll be using those kind of interchangeably throughout calorie and energy essentially mean the same thing in this model here. So the concept is, um, the concept of this energy balance, this is based on the first law of thermodynamics, which is that energy cannot be destroyed. It can only be gained, lost, or stored through an organism. So if the energy is gained through eating, that's how we gain energy is through eating. If that energy gained is greater than the energy lost through physical activity, then that delta is essentially stored in our body. Um, and just to clarify on, on energy lost here, this includes all energy, not just energy like used when doing physical activity. So if you were to just like lay in bed all day and not move, you just like lay there and breathe, <clears throat> that actually you, you burn calories in, in that way. Like you're using up energy um, just, just to breathe, just to for the organs to function that uses calories, it uses energy. And that's called uh, BMR basal meta metabolic rate sometimes it's synonymous synonymous oh man synonymously there we go yeah use with uh, resting metabolic rate both are are very similar um but this is just to live these are that's how much energy is needed just to live and this varies by person so whether you know male female your your weight your height all that factors into your specific BMR. It's different for everybody. Like for me specifically, as a male, uh, five nine, one hundred and sixty five pounds. Like I, my BMR is around eighteen hundred calories. So, just to live, I would basically need to, you know, I, I need to use I use up eighteen calorie or eighteen hundred calories of energy. Yeah, I gotta. I actually have mine right here. I did an in body scan. Oh, nice. uh, okay, like a month or so ago, eighteen forty eight is my BMR. Oh so, dang. Okay, yeah, mine was right close. on. Yep. Um, yeah, there's like calculators online, which will get you roughly close. I mean, you're, you're still, your own body is different than other mm -hmm. people's, but using my aura ring and a calculator, I, I estimate 1800. So yours, I'm, we're mm -hmm. probably very similar. So, um, so yeah, your energy expended is going to be your BMR plus any other physical energy. So the whole energy balance model is based around the number of calories consumed and the number of calories utilized. So that's, that's one concept. Focus is quantity of calories. Then there's this other concept or other model called the carbohydrate insulin model. And this has a little bit different take and, and more of the focus here is on quantity. Quality, right? right? Uh, yeah, quality, quality. Um, mainly it's looking at carbohydrates. 
thus the name. Um, this model theorizes that a diet high in carbs and specifically like highly processed carbs that rapidly digest, that this is what leads to weight gain. Um, and this would essentially be any type of like packaged snack foods at the store. This is kind of what would fall into this category here, like processed, processed carbs. So the overconsumption of these types of food, this model says that this causes basically a hormonal imbalance, which ultimately negatively affects our metabolism. So basically how this works and how it's kind of described is that processed carbs increase the release of insulin, which in turn suppresses glucagon secretion. And then this signals fat cells to store more calories, which ultimately this leads to fewer calories being available to fuel the body, to fuel muscles and to fuel other metabolic active tissues. So the brain perceives this as basically the body not getting enough energy. It's, it's effectively tricking the brain into thinking that your body is starving. So the feeling of hunger still remains, appetite increases, and your, your metabolism begins to slow down. So this cycle then repeats as you continue eating more highly processed carbs, and this, the cycle repeats to where you ultimately gain weight. So that's the concept there around carbs. The focus, you know, if you're eating these poor quality um, carb-based foods, that weight gain will, will occur. So that's kind of the gist of the two models. Now, neither of them are perfect, which is what we want to get into today. Um, it's not necessarily one or the other. We're going to look at the two and see kind of, you know, what, what, what are the problems with these? Are, are they accurate? Are there some kind of uh, loopholes in here that you need to be want to watch out for? So, Andy, do you want to kind of walk through each of them and point out some of the potential problems? Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into that, I want to share a story that I, I found online that actually kind of relates to this. So I stumbled upon this story about this, uh, this feral boy who was raised by wolves in India back in the late 1800s. A lot of people might know this story. It's basically the, the real-life Mowgli, and it's, it's what is thought to have actually inspired Kipling's Jungle Book. So these hunters were roaming the jungles in India uh, until they stumbled upon this cave where they found this boy walking on all fours. Um, and they brought him back to the village or the, the city, and they started to piece together what had happened when he struggled to walk on his own two feet. Uh, he only ate raw meat, so a true carnivore. And then he, he gnawed on bones to sharpen his teeth. He couldn't talk. Uh, he just he just growled and howled. That's how he communicated. Really struggled to adapt after they found him. And they pieced together that he was raised by wolves. They named him Dina Sanachar. If you look at that name, you'll, you'll learn more about this. Um, Dina, I believe, is Hindi for Saturday, which is the day we they, the day of the week they found him. Thought that was very thoughtful and creative. They uh, really put a lot of effort into his name. He he never learned to speak. Um, apparently like there's an age where if you haven't been exposed to a language, you, you may never learn it. It's just very difficult. Like your brain can't learn a language if you've never been exposed to it. So he never learned to speak, uh, but he did learn to smoke cigarettes. So he learned at least one human trait. And then he died of tuberculosis about 20 years later. So not really the happy ending that, uh, that Disney portrayed, but the whole time I was reading, 
this story, I couldn't help but think how life might have turned out differently if he only had Element. They put him in several institutions to try to teach him to speak. Um, they even tried sign language. Um, but one thing they never tried was a perfect balance of sodium, potassium, and magnesium. I mean, isn't that just sad? It's just horrific. Um, like only if he had gone to drink com slash health act, then maybe his story would have turned out a little different. Um, and I think it just goes to show the consequences of not, not being adequately hydrated. And, 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 you know, I think, you know, raised by wolves, I guess also, but I think that's more secondary. So if you want to help people like Dina, go to drink com slash health act. All proceeds from your purchase will go towards helping kids who are raised by wolves Element Tea is truly the bare necessities, old mother nature's recipe. Get yours at drinkelementtea.com slash health act. All right. So let's, uh, let's get back into the episode here. So the two models that, that we talked about were really two philosophies for weight management. And there's a lot of debate on which one is better for weight loss. Should you focus on calories or should you focus on low carb? And this might get, you know, semi into the weeds, but it's really important um, because, like, there's a lot of articles uh, that are very, especially in the health community, very pro-low-carb, pro-keto, and everyone tries this. I feel like at some point everyone tries to go low-carb because they heard it's great for you. But that's not always the case. Uh, Like with most things in the nutrition community, people tend to think in terms of one or the other. Uh, when these models are discussed, it's typically, you know, you're either low carb or, you know, something else. Um, there's not a lot of like a, a both and discussion. And I think both both of these models, uh, you know, understanding caloric intake and, and how much uh, caloric expenditure and, and, you know, carbohydrate intake, I think both are important. And both of these models have some downfalls. So I want to start with the carbohydrate insulin model. So just to recap what Aaron said, here's a high level overview. I'm actually stealing this from my nutrition course because they did a great job at at simplifying it. I mean, it's very similar to what Aaron just said, but you eat carbohydrates when you eat carbs, your body releases insulin. And then according to the carbohydrate insulin model, insulin keeps your body from burning fat for energy and it drives fat and sugar from your bloodstream into your cells. All this makes your body think that it's starving, causing it to slow your metabolism and then increase your hunger. So the end result here or the end recommendation in this model is eat a low carb diet. And what's implied is don't worry about calories. You can kind of forget that just focus on eating low carbs. And under this model, if you eat low carbs, your body will produce less insulin and then start burning fat as a result. So this has led to a very popular trend of the keto diet and and many keto products. So I want to get into some of the problems with this model. Um, and, and one of them being that they kind of act like that, that carbs are the only food that releases insulin. Uh, protein also releases insulin, but this is kind of ignored uh, in, in most cases when this model is being addressed. Like protein breaks down into amino acids, and that requires insulin to absorb. So while car- carbs are indeed a primary driver of insulin for sure, um, e- eating only protein and fats does not eliminate the presence of insulin. Which, you know, if that's the culprit of weight gain here, like they kind of make it out to be, then a high protein diet would also cause issues. 
and that doesn't seem to be the case. So that's kind of just a, a side note on one of, I think, the uh, maybe where they're, they're kind of wrong in one of their assumptions. And then the bigger thing and the kind of the whole gist of this model is that it implies that insulin makes you fat. Now, of course, we know that continually elevated insulin levels can lead to insulin resistance, and if that's not dealt with, can lead to type 2 diabetes. And insulin does definitely influence how your body burns fat, but it's not the only thing that influences how your body burns fat, and I think that's where this model could could be better. So I'm going to get into the weeds a little bit here, but it is important. So insulin uh, inhibits lipolysis. Now, that's the process of moving fat from storage into the bloodstream to be used as energy, so burning fat. So it insulin inhibits fat burning, stops fat burning um, to some extent. And then insulin stimulates lipogenesis, which is the process of moving fat from your bloodstream into storage or converting f- carbs into fat. Um, so that's fat storage. So it, insulin stimulates fat storage. Now, in order for this to happen, uh, you still do have to be at a surplus of calories. Like if if your body needs energy, it's going to use the fuel in your bloodstream for immediate energy before dipping into storage. So in order for it to like really store fat, you still have to be eating in excess. But anyway, all that is to say is insulin impacts the storage of fat and the burning of fat. So the assumption in this model is that if insulin uh, stimulates the storage of fat and inhibits the burning of fat, then insulin must be bad. We should do everything we can to turn off insulin. And, and and their answer for that is to not eat carbs since carbs trigger insulin. Now, there are elements of, of truth to that, but it's not the only thing that impacts the storage and the burning of fat by any means. Like there are so many other hormones at work that influence fat burning and fat storage, which really don't get attention in this model. So Fat, fat storage is, is also heavily influenced by uh, cortisol, the stress, horm- stress hormone, uh, growth hormone, epinephrine, you know, adrenaline. Um, protein, for example, stimulates the hormone glucagon, which Aaron mentioned, which helps release stored glucose. So that may offset. So eating protein you know, may offset some of the effects of insulin. So if you're eating a, um, a meal that is carbs and protein, that's going to look different than if you're just eating uh, a food that is pure carbs. Um, and just how your your hormones specifically react to a given food is determined by several other factors, like your fitness level, your muscle mass, your body fat, your your genetics, your uh, your microbiome. That's huge, um, which we did did an episode on recently. Other parts of your diet, like how much fiber you're eating, and this model doesn't really factor in any of these things. It just kind of demonizes insulin and use insulin in isolation. When in reality, there are so many other factors that that are at work here. Um, Metabolism is very complex. And I think this model really what it's doing is trying to simplify it down into one thing, carbs, carbs are bad. And it's really just not that simple. So there, there are some beneficial aspects to this model, like, you know, when, when people eliminate carbs, Aaron mentioned this earlier, like, I mean, they, you, you, you tend to move towards whole foods and less processed foods because most processed foods are just carbs and sugar. So when you eliminate carbs or you do low carb, I mean, you're eliminating a lot of processed foods. You also tend to overeat less when you're eating less carbs because protein and fats are more satiating 
Um, they trigger the reward center less than processed carbs. So I think that this model, the low-carb philosophy, the low-carb method can really help with appetite regulation. After a while, it's not like this takes time. It's not like if you just go low-carb one day, your cravings are going to be gone. It does take time to adapt. Um, so this may be why some feeding trials show more, more weight loss on a low-carb diet. But even with that, there's a lot of mixed results around whether low-carb or high-carb is better for weight loss. There's a lot of studies that kind of go back and forth on this. So we've already talked about the problem with observational research in one of one of the episodes we did recently. But there's an interesting study that I think is worth going through because it's a pretty high-quality study on high-carb versus low-carb diets. Now, it was only 17 men, so very small study. But this is one of those studies where they actually kept them in a metabolic ward. So... Participants were, were kept on site and strictly monitored for, I think it was eight weeks. So, um, which is, it's hard to conduct a study like this, but they were able to do it. And everything that these people ate and how they lived were under strict control. For the first four weeks, they followed a high carb diet. For the next four weeks, they followed a very low carb ketogenic diet. Um, and with both diets, calories and protein were the same. That's, that's very important. Uh, and both were minimally processed, mostly whole foods, so mostly vegetables and meats. Um, they were minimally minimally processed. So the only thing that would change between the first four weeks and the second four weeks were the carbs and fat. Um, and then throughout the whole eight weeks, they were actually burning 300 calories more than they were eating. So they strictly measured how many carbs they were burning or calories they were burning on. A, they did like, uh, I think, a stationary bike. So, um, according to the carb insulin model, you would expect more fat loss on the, on the low carb diet than the high carb diet. When in reality with this, which was really interesting is that both lost the same amount of weight on both diets, low carb and high carb. Now the, the exercise was the same. They controlled for that. The calories and the protein was the same. The carbs were just lower in one and replaced with fat in the other. So the carb insulin model would say, well, you should lose more weight on low carb, but that didn't happen here. Now, insulin was lower on the low carb diet, but that didn't have any impact on weight loss. So this seems to imply that when you control for quality uh, and energy in and out, the impact that the, a low carb diet has on weight loss is pretty much uh, the same. Now, that's not to say that uh, high carb is right for everyone. Um, for, for a lot of overweight people, low-carb often works very well for some of the reasons I mentioned previously around appetite regulation. It just low-carb does seem to work for, for a lot of overweight people. But it's just it's not purely low-carb that is the miracle worker here, and that's kind of what's portrayed in this um, carb-insulin model. There was another study, uh, very similar, where they admitted 20 adults to a metabolic ward. Again, that's where they're kept under supervision. This is not, this is not surveys. They're provided what, exactly what to eat. Their schedules are regulated. Their sleep's regulated. Um, and I think this was for four weeks, so a little shorter. But they randomized these people to a diet of ultra-processed uh, ultra foods and minimally processed foods. And each day there were three meals and snacks for each group. And what was interesting here is that the ultra-processed meals and the unprocessed meals were matched for calories and macronutrients. So, so for example, take dinner. 
dinner for the ultra processed meal and dinner for the uh, unprocessed meal had the same calories, carbs, fat, and protein. Same with the snacks. But they were allowed to consume as much or as little as they wanted. But the meals they were provided had the same calories and macronutrient ratio. One was just super processed, one was less processed. And then after two weeks, they switched and they alternated the diets. Um, the, the two groups switched. They, one started with ultra-processed, then moved to um, low-processed, and then they, they flipped, and vice versa. So on average, participants on the ultra-processed food diet ate 500 more calories per day than those that ate uh, unprocessed foods. So while they had access to meals with the same calories and macronutrients, the processed foods triggered overeating. Um, and as you would expect, participants gained weight on the ultra-processed diet. Um, people lost weight on the minimally processed diet, even though the macronutrient ratios were similar. Um, so it, it didn't seem like it was just carbs that was triggering this overeating. It was this, this um, you know, the, the palatable, highly palatable ultra-processed foods. So I think what this shows is that it's way easier to overeat junk food than, than whole foods. And that seems to be much more of a factor than, than simply just carbs. So let me break it down in a more realistic, realistic example. I'm going to like bring this, this all back, um, but I think these two studies are really important. So let me break it down into like a more realistic example. Um, a large Coke, like from McDonald's, provides like 80 grams of sugar, 290 calories. Now, it's relatively easy to drink a Coke um, on top of cheeseburger and fries, which are a lot more calories. So in order, in order to match what you would get from a Diet Coke, you'd have to eat four apples in one sitting. And nobody does that. It's the same calories, it's the same sugar, but a very different experience nutritionally. And in this case, it's largely due to the fiber. These processed foods are designed for us to overeat with the, the flavorings, the, uh, the oil, um, everything that makes it taste good. You know, the sugar, where if you get the, the sugar from a natural source, it's much less easy to, to overeat. Um, and we see this with, with a lot of things. So all that is to say is that it's not as clear cut as just cut out the carbs, like quality, quality really matters. Like what you're filling the rest of the, that diet with is, is very important. Um, so Getting down to kind of like the conclusion on this carb insulin model, I think, I think one thing that it really misses here, or one thing that that people who go keto uh, tend to tend to fall into this trap that calories don't matter as long as they don't eat carbs, and people people will do this. They'll go keto, they'll eat just you know cheese or. Um, you know, meat or keto snacks. There's so many keto ice cream, keto cookies, keto pizza. I mean, you can get anything keto now. There's keto bread. Um, and so so people kind of stop counting calories because they're told under this model that they don't need to. If they just cut the carbs, then they'll lose weight. And that seems to be the f sole focus for a lot of people. And they don't really acknowledge this model. And a lot of, you know, some people that do keto don't acknowledge the impact of exercise, sleep, stress, uh, and other parts of your diet um, that, that impact hormone regulation, metabolism, and weight loss. So in the end, I think the, the carbohydrate insulin model is overly simplistic and 
well, it does have some merits to it, um, particularly around appetite regulation. I think it misses so much around the other aspects of clean living. Carbs may be just fine for some people. Um, not everyone thrives on low carb. But, you know, some people should be low carb. But when you have a model like this that attempts to apply a concept to everyone, this goes for like any article you see or any diet you see. I think when you have a, a complex thing like m- metabolism and there's a claim with a simple solution, you need to be careful because everyone is different. So now moving into the energy balance model, I'm going to wrap up here because I know I'm rambling. Um, but I want to just briefly touch on the energy balance model. That's the first one that Aaron mentioned. This is basically calories and calories out. This just says that if you eat more than you burn, you'll gain weight. Uh, if you burn more than you eat, you'll lose weight. And, and that's a fact. This is the basic law of thermodynamics, as Aaron talked about. The energy has to be stored or burned. It can't just disappear. But I think this model can also be overly simplistic. People hear this and they think, oh, I can just outwork a bad diet if I just... Um, yeah, I eat this pizza or I eat this cookie. Well, I'll just work out twice as hard tomorrow. Or people um, think they never need to exercise because they eat healthy and they don't gain weight. You know, as long as they don't eat junk food, um, you know, maybe they don't really need to exercise. And I think both of those have significant shortfalls, as you might imagine. If you eat a ton of junk food and try to offset that with exercise, I mean, you're you're never going to be your optimal self. That that highly processed junk food, as we've talked on here many times. That's going to negatively impact your hunger hormones, your gut microbiome, your brain, all your bodily functions. Your body needs fuel to repair and heal. And if you're just killing yourself with exercise and not properly refeeding, you know, it's uh, it's not going to end well, even if even if you don't gain weight. Obviously, like weight gain is not just the single metric of health. On the flip side, if you never exercise and you just starve yourself to be in a caloric deficit, you're going to you're going to lose more than fat. You're going to lose muscle mass, bone density, cardiac health. Um, we, we need to be moving regardless of how we're eating. So while the calorie in calorie out model or the energy balance model, whatever you want to call it, has its merit as well. It's also not a complete picture for weight loss. I think because most people don't know what to eat, so they just use or, or don't know how to work out or what to do for their exercise. So they just use calories as their primary metric, which does not count for so many other factors, um, you know, all of which heavily influence how you feel. So that was a lot. Did I make any sense as I went through that? Yeah, no, that made perfect sense. Um, I think with the calorie in, calorie out uh, method, I think one, one thing here that like, you mentioned that this is this is true. Like if you eat as many calories as you burn, your weight generally won't same, but the body composition is what's going to change. You're not going to be your optimal self. So you can eat two two thousand calories and burn two thousand calories, but if you're not if you're eating crap food and if you're not working out, your weight might stay the same, but that muscle is going to deteriorate and fat fat's going to take its place. While overall your weight might not change that body composition is going to shift dramatically. So um, mm-hmm. I think that's a trap people get into is, is yeah, if, if I eat this, I can just work it off. But um, yeah, that's not, I mean, maybe you can, maybe you can do it for a couple months, a couple years, but eventually it is going to, yeah, affect your yeah. optimal health and it's going to change the body composition. Yeah. 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 And then on the flip side, I think there's so much more to your diet than carb content. Like the, the mm-hmm. energy and the energy and energy out calories and calories out like that was for the longest time was all people thought about diet. 
watch your calories. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, I don't know, over the past 10 years maybe, we've shifted to, like, carbs are the enemy. Like, Atkins mm-hmm. diet. I remember that from back in the day. Like, um, cut the – and, I mean, those – I haven't looked at the ingredients in those meals, but most frozen meals are filled with crap. Um, right. You know, flavorings and uh, I guess not sugar because it's low carb. Um, but just, you know, they're not they're not real nutrient dense. Uh, it's just, mm-hmm. hey, if it's low carb, I'm good. And and they, I think you might have mentioned this about how they actually like make things low carb. Like a lot of times, like uh, bread, yeah, yeah, they do something yeah. to it, right? Yeah, they just they basically just so they uh, with with a keto diet specifically, and I, I we haven't done the research on this on on how fiber factors into carbohydrate consumption, but basically on the keto diet, you look at net carbs. So like to be keto, I don't know what the number is specifically, but you can only consume you know 30 net carbs a day or 50 net carbs a day meaning you can technically have 80 carbs but if you eat 50 grams of fiber that offsets 50 of the carbs Mm -hmm. so your net carb intake is only 30 grams so if you just eat fiber the more fiber you eat the more carbs you can eat because they offset so like now that keto became a trend like five ten years ago You'll see keto plaster on everything. You can find everything in keto now, and you can you can go find just a loaf of bread. It is it looks identical to any other loaf of bread, which a typical loaf of bread is like zero fat, one gram of protein, and like twenty carbs. Like that's your typical loaf of bread. Well, this bread looks the same. Basically, it's the same exact same exact ingredients too. They just fill it with a fiber supplement to jack up the fiber content to off to make the net carb look better. Mm-hmm. So, again, I, we haven't done the research. I don't. I don't know how your body would respond to that differently than a, a typical piece of bread, but it's certainly not a, a healthy route to yeah to do that. So the fiber, I the, the philosophy there, I believe, is like the fiber slows down the insulin response to the carb. So they really mm-hmm. like don't count that. Okay. For some reason, I mean, because I mean, it slows it down. So in the right. keto community, it's like, well, you can maybe still get into ketosis if you have more fiber. But yeah, like they're they're you can get anything in, in keto, and mm-hmm. I think people people can actually end up overeating on ketosis yeah. or, or in keto. Yeah. Now I, it is harder to overeat, like I mentioned earlier, because generally you're going to be drawn towards more whole foods. Generally, but people can get into this trap of if it's low carb, it's healthy, um, and, and low carb is not right for everyone. I think that's another thing that this model kind of assumes is that you know everyone should be low carb and it and it is a, a viable solution for people struggling with weight but it's not the whole picture you know there's so much more to your diet than carb content and how much carb content or how much carbs you should be eating a day really depends on you varies by person there is no one size fits all we've said that a million times on here you sort of have to experiment with it like i find that i don't feel um great from a athletic performance perspective on zero carbs um but I, I also don't feel great if I'm like, that's primarily what I'm eating. I, I feel good on, I don't know, low-ish carbs, like, um, I don't know, maybe like one, 1 to 150, 130 to 180 per day, something like that. You know, from quality sources like sweet potatoes or rice or fruit. Um, so I think you kind of have to experiment for yourself. Um, uh, you know, and then again, just to hit on the energy balance like if you're eating more calories than you're burning weight you then you you're burning you will gain weight but it's not that simple it's not as simple as just you know watching your carbs uh i think a a whole diet's 
A whole foods diet will allow you to be more well-fed and help with appetite regulation. Um, even if you don't eat a lot, you know, uh, that, that doesn't mean you don't have to exercise. You need to find a good balance that, that, that's right for you. So I think the pillars of both of these combined can work if you're trying to lose weight. Really, really, the takeaways I take away from kind of combining these two, the important pieces that I pull from it is avoid processed food, eat whole foods, eat, if you're trying to lose weight, eat less energy than you expend. On top of that, manage sleep, stress, personal relationships, you know, any other stressors in your life. I think those three things can work wonders and it can apply to almost anybody, regardless if you're vegan, paleo, Mediterranean, low carb, high carb, you can do all those things in on any of those diets. You just got to kind of find what works for you and then, um, and then build some sustainable, healthy habits around those things. Yep. I think that's right. Um, I think, I think it's easy to fall into the trap with both, like both of these models are a simplistic way to look at nutrition and people want, people want a simple answer. It's like, just, just eat less calories and and that'll fix it. Just, just avoid carbs and that'll fix it. And it's more than just that. It's, it's a little bit more challenging than just that. It it is a combination of both. Um, a little bit harder to do a little bit harder. It takes a little bit more discipline, but, um, that that's ultimately what's going to give you make you feel optimal and um you're gonna you're gonna feel great look great and uh yeah yeah that's it uh thanks for listening everyone uh if you don't well i don't know i guess if you got through the end of the episode it, it didn't drag on too long for you but subscribe to health hack if you're not already subscribed go to healthhack.com and you know we put out uh it's basically like six little snippets of new health research in fitness nutrition mental health of fringe research so um this one this last episode or this last newsletter yeah it'll have come out by by then uh we put out an episode on how crocodile or put out an article on some recent research that shows that crocodile blood may help reduce muscle soreness so um go subscribe there's a lot of good stuff there i think they're fun to read we put a lot of work into it and would love to uh have you sub thanks for listening have a great week Bye.